Hi guys, um, and welcome to the Fights Up Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukash, as always, um, and today we're going to be doing a special episode because basically I was on holiday last week and um, there wasn't boxing on, um, but um, you know nothing that I was going to go out of my way to cover while I was on holiday, so I didn't. Um, I will mention that apparently Cyrus Patterson versus Chris Jenkins was an excellent fight at British level. Um, just in case anyone's you know interested in that, that will be one I'll be catching up on, but I won't be podcasting about it. Um, but other than that, yeah, there wasn't, you know, too much to talk about. Even even the idiotic fight between Zerdo and um and Rosado. Rosado Ramirez and Rosado got called off, thankfully, really, but yeah, Zerdo was unprofessional came over away and you know, it was cancelled, thank fuck. So yeah, special episode today. And uh if I'm honest, I was casting about a bit for subjects for this because I was going to do a Roy Joe special and then it was just like I need to prepare better to do a Roy Joe special. I would not have done the man justice. So instead I'm gonna be doing a te- sort of technical discussion. I'm going to be covering. I'll, I'm going to use the term hidden fundamentals, and what I mean by that is um, things that are well fundamental, things that are basics that top fighters should know that you'd expect most fighters to train or have some experience or knowledge of, um, but they don't get talked about on commentary in punditry, and you know. To be clear here, I'm not insinuating that most of these or any of these are sort of hidden secrets that um, that it is you know I am unveiling to the world, and also not that uh, these aren't being trained because for the most part they pretty clearly are. You know, there's always some boxers who are better at these than others, and uh, that's true of regular fundamentals. You know, sometimes you see boxers who don't jab very well, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's just I want to sort of highlight some of the things that are that are really important. Um, that just for, for whatever reason in the prevailing commentary these days um, commentary and punditry and I'm, you know, even I myself overlook them sometimes um, despite them being of interest to me yeah, they just don't come up that much so I thought I'd kind of you know just get into a few of them it's not going to be anything like comprehensive and um, as with anything like this I do have to caveat I am not a guy who uh, trains or coaches so um, so I'm definitely going to miss something so I can't be comprehensive Um but just this is these are my ideas of things that are basically sometimes it winds me up when I'm listening to it or watching a fight and something seems pretty clearly obvious about a fighter is doing or not doing and uh, and it just never gets picked up by the commentary or the punditry or the analysis of the fight afterwards um, and it may be of interest to anyone listening you know to have these th- these little things in mind as well when you're watching fights. Some of these will be things that I've talked about before. Like some of these will be familiar to you if you listen to this podcast or follow me on Twitter or read my analysis. Um, some of them will be, you know, kind of things I also overlook. So, be a mixture here. I'm going to start off with one that um, actually came to mind because I was watching MMA at the weekend. I was watching the UFC and I watched uh, Raphael Physio versus uh, Justin Gaethje. And... Uh, Gaethje won, it wasn't, you know, it was a close fight, it could have gone either way, but ultimately Gaethje won the final round because Fiziev got tired um, but it wasn't that Gaethje didn't get tired Gaethje gets tired all the fucking damn time um, he gets tired in every fight but he knows how to fight tired and Fiziev didn't know what to do when he slowed down and um, I feel like in boxing this comes up a little less Brutally, I wouldn't say often, but a little less brutally, just because, um, for whatever reason, 
complete collapses in stamina are less common in boxing. I, th- I always guess that's because just the mix of the games makes it harder to be to have stamina and everything in MMA. But um, in any case, um, yeah, it's less common to see a guy completely collapse. But um, but that's not what happened on Saturday. Like Fizzy was still going. He just didn't really have, you know, he ha- he wasn't adjusting to his slower reactions. And I would say, well, in boxing, that's also pretty common. Like seeing a fighter who's um, who is uh, like when he's fresh, he's really sharp and on point, and when he starts to tire, he doesn't really know how to deal with that. I would say the most obvious guy who lacks this fundamental is a guy who, let's be honest, lacks a lot of fundamentals. It's Deontay Wilder, because I mean he's never pin sharp technically, but um. And I think his coach Malik Scott talked about this after the last Fury fight, possibly before the last Fury fight, when he was saying, you know, uh, Deontay always waggles all over the place pretty quickly. Um, it's just part of how he fights. Um, shouldn't read too much into whether he's uh, hurt. And it's like, if he's not hurt, then you're doing something wrong in coaching because your fighter shouldn't be that out of shape, like out of form, falling out of even his fairly crude form that quickly into a fight. He just loses or composure almost instantly at the moment he isn't completely fresh um, I mean that, that was even part of his excuse for, for the fucking um, for the second fight where the, you know the costume t- wore me down and da, da, da. so even if you're a professional fighter you know that, that wearing that costume for that amount of time shouldn't be wearing you down to the point you can't fight but you can almost believe it because Wilder just doesn't know how to fight tired um, he is an extreme example um it's easier to list examples of guys who uh, who don't know than who do know because um, the guys who do know uh, who do know how to fight tired are you know they're, they're disguising it so it's hard to know really. Um, I do actually want to reach in you know come up, come up with an example of a fighter you know in actually succeeding because of his ability to fight tired over his opponent. I'm going to have to go a little way back here. Um, there have definitely been more recent examples of this, but this is one that. Uh, I kind of dug out of the memory bank. Um, this British level fight um, between Chris Bruno Smith and Tommy McCarthy. Actually, it's a Commonwealth and European level as well. It's a you know sort of unification of the three. The three titles British fighters are kind of you know eligible for before the worlds. In any case, this was the first fight between the two. They they had a rematch. Um, the first one was a lot closer. It was a split decision. I actually can't remember <laughs> if that was a controversial one or not. Um, but it was a you know it was a close fight, and uh, and the, part of the reason Chris Bruno Smith won it in the end um, was that um, that he's just a bit more efficient in his movements, and he um, they both tired, and uh, I've got some notes on this. I uh, I uh, well I say notes. I wrote about it on Twitter, and then I looked it up. Um, yeah, they're both tired, but. Um, McCarthy, his style in general is quite inefficient. He's uh, he's the guy who kind of loops around the edges, and um, you know he doesn't really have the game down the centre line. It's kind of an aside to this, but it does mean his movement is a lot of big movements to get around. You know the areas that he's not so good in in the middle, whereas uh, Chris Bill Smith is he's quite straight lined, and sometimes you know often that that's a bad thing, but. Um, but it means, I mean, it's, I think it's a result of him. He keeps his movement very efficient. He is, also throws explosive punches and all of that shit. But he keeps his movement very straight lined. And um, essentially, it just means he isn't overbalancing. He isn't say, having to save energy um, 
catching himself after he throws and uh, or recovering you know his head movement his, he hasn't got a lot of head movement but, um, but he doesn't have to do a lot he just kind of puts his hands up and you know it's a simple game but he doesn't have to do a lot uh, it's not as energy you know it's efficient he puts a lot of power into it without a lot of energy output and just as the fight went on that meant that McCarthy who was doing these big movements his big explosive movements that he was having to catch himself was finding it harder to catch himself where Crispin and Smith was dog tired but all that meant was he was moving a little bit slower and a little bit you know um, just regularly tired basically is what I'm saying here he, and he could easily fight within himself um, and still and still be basically keeps his game and that is another aspect of this fundamental it's you know uh, it's easier for some fighters than others because some fighters can basically just dial their game in a bit and still be doing the same thing Whereas uh, someone like um, McCarthy um, has to really focus on, he has to really change his game around to um, to do different things. And at world level, most fighters avoid having these you know holes in the game where they can't fight more efficiently. But um, but yeah, sometimes when you get down to the European and regional levels, you will, you just see fighters who really struggle with it. Um, and uh, yeah, basically, who as they, as they get tired, they just can't do the things that their their game relies on. Um, yeah, and it basically that's what I'm saying is it's something you really should practice, and uh, clearly most fighters do. Um, and yeah, it's just this is just I mean, if you've heard this, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you've definitely heard me talk about this sort of thing before. Um, yeah, it's a thing that bothers me to see in a fight, but it also bothers me when it isn't talked about because it comes up in fights. If one fighter gets more tired, you know, oh, he's this fighter's getting tired, and it's like the guy opposite him is equally tired, but he just knows what he's doing more. You just don't see that discussed, and it's something to keep in mind. You know, it's uh, it's something to keep in mind partly because it's uh, even while you're watching a fight, if you see one guy struggling more with his movement, and you know the other guy's taking deep breaths and clearly be, being a bit laboured, but he knows. You know, he isn't overreaching himself. It's not a hundred percent a prediction thing, but um, you can start thinking, okay, the other guy's going to unravel a bit more. Um, it so often happens that you know the guy who's making these big explosive movements and then he starts to slow is going to unravel faster than a guy who's making you know more efficient movements and uh, and yeah, just doesn't have to change that much. I've rambled a bit, but that's my that's my first uh, hidden fundamental. My second one is an entirely different tack, and it is something that is um, it's talked about, but not as much as you know the principle exists and we know it, and it's talked about in principle, but you don't see it brought up as much in um, again in commentary, in analysis, uh, in the breakdown of great fighters, good fighters, as I would like. Um, and this kind of one's kind of the opposite as to the last one because. Uh, it's broken down when it isn't there. It's mentioned when it isn't there, but it, the positive examples of it really get brought up. And that is um, head positioning. And we talk about head movement all the damn time. Like all of us, you know, me as well, quite rightly, every pundit, every commentator, anyone who's watching a fight will highlight good head movement and uh, not highlight uh, so much when, well, they will uh, notice when the head movement isn't there. Um, but sometimes... Um, fighters don't have to move their heads as much 
and they still don't get hit so much. And sometimes it really fucking irritates me because a guy will go, you know, you'll see a commentator or fans on Twitter and go, oh yeah, he's not moving his head much. He's got to be careful. And, you know, oh, the punches aren't fucking landing. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, what are you talking about? His head movement's fine. It's just not a, uh, he doesn't have to switch, uh, he doesn't have to slip and, uh, um, and duck and weave all the time because he's positioning his head in the right place um, to, uh, to not be hit so easily. And yeah, you will you will see. You know, commentators will talk about talk, take your head off centre line um, as you're approaching that kind of thing. But um, but not really. You know, not what that means. Or they won't highlight it when he is taking his head off his centre line and uh, what he's what that means when he is or she. Um, you know, let's be fair. Here. Um, but anyway. Uh, the thing is, there are loads of examples of fighters who are really great at this. Like, this isn't one of those ones where, um, you know, it may be overlooked. This is one where clearly any coach worth their salt knows knows what this means um, and knows what they should be teaching their fighters. And some are better than others, clearly, and some focus on it more than others, um, and some prefer to be in constant motion. Um, but there are lots of great examples. Um, you know, even uh, currently, um, Alexander Usyk, um, you know, moves his head. Doesn't move it that much. Um, you know, I've seen people. I've been in arguments with people, criticizing Lomachenko for not moving his head. And, and again, obviously, he does move his head. Um, but a lot of it is he just knows how to keep himself safe um, without having to do lots of ducking and weaving. Um, but the example I'm going to go to is um, is even more, you know, <laughs> even bigger than that. It's Manny Pacquiao. It's um, fairly obvious one. And again, Manny Pacquiao clearly does move his head. Like none of these fighters don't move their heads. Um, well, very few of them. Um, but, um, you know, Manny Pacquiao, you do clearly see him slipping and ducking. And, you know, the famous Ricky Hatton quote of uh, left hook rolled under, left hook rolled under, and then he got knocked out by that, uh, knocked down by that very punch. But, um, but a lot of Pacquiao's work um, was to do with his positioning and his timing, but his positioning. Um, and the thing with Pacquiao is he wasn't a pressure fighter. Like, um, you know, you feel he's a pressure fighter sometimes watching his, you know, in the impression he leaves as a pressure fighter. He wasn't, he's an in-out mover. Um, but um, obviously when he was being aggressive, he was insanely aggressive. Like he was leaving himself in positions where it just doesn't seem likely that he should be getting away with it. He was leaning over so far, so far and uh, taking these crazy fucking angles. Um, you know, sometimes his uh, his footwork was really fucking good, but he'd sometimes be completely off, you know, off balance. And why didn't he get dropped more? Like he fought um, Juan Manuel Marquez four times, fucking insanely accurate counter puncher, volume puncher, all of that. Um, he only got seriously punished for once. Obviously, very famously knocked on his ass. Ouch! Uh, but um, but when you fight the way he does. He wasn't being caught for anywhere near as much as you'd think he was. Um, and the reason for that is quite simple. That Pacquiao knows how to put his head where his opponents can't get to them um, very easily. That he leans out at an angle. Um, you know, he's not just leaning off the centre line. He's leaning off the centre line at an angle where his opponent um, will find it uh, difficult to just to reach his head, basically, without taking himself off balance. And this comes into, you know, other principles come into this. Um, so you have to know where your opponent will find it hardest to reach. So if you're, if you're leaning to your opponent, if your opponent is a, um, was orthodox, so he's jabbing with his left, um, you know, the very simple, take your head off center line, um, you know, simple fact. 
if you duck to his left around the outside of the jab and then come really aggressively forward, it's difficult, it's tricky, you have to be careful of hooks and da 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 da. If you get to the right position, which Pacquiao was, you know, really fucking good at, or, um, they then have to punch basically through their own jab to get to you. Like if they're jabbing and you slip the jab to the outside and slip, um, position to the outside of the jab and, um, and you're on the, on the outside of their left shoulder, even if they land on you, even if they landed, fighters landed on Pacquiao, they've taken the sting off their own shots because they're punching across their own sense of line to get to him. Um, and again, this, this requires timing as well, because if you do it wrong, what you're allowing your opponent to do is generate power by turning through. But if you're doing it right, turning through, you know, turning gives you an opponent a, a chance to land, um, on them. It, it's a really tricky thing to do in the way Pacquiao, Pacquiao did it. He isn't, you know, he isn't the, uh, the guy you'd reach to as a textbook, so I'll have to go on to someone else next. Um, but, um, but yeah, basically, if you take the right position vis-a-vis uh, -vis your opponent, um, uh, then you can take some angles that seem really risky because they're taking the sting off their own punches. Um, yeah, yeah, again, you can't just sit there and uh, stay there forever because then you give them the chance to set themselves and turn and, and generate more power. But um, but yeah, and you know, there are different ways to do this. Like I, the, the you know, the obvious example is um, come to the outside of um, of them and. Uh, and then they have to punch through themselves. So that's my favourite example because it's just uh, it's just neat to see opponents kind of stimmied by their own by themselves. Um, and yeah, you know, like all fundamentals, this this skill ties in with other skills. Um, going back to Pacquiao, you will very rarely see Pacquiao um, in the Marquez fights. Um, you won't see Pacquiao take that position I'm talking about. Um, you know, aim for that position I'm talking about beyond. Uh, beyond Marquez's left shoulder um, because, um, unless Marquez has already thrown with that hand because if he hasn't uh, he can intercept it and you can clearly see Marquez knows about what Pacquiao's trying to do and he's hooking instead of jabbing a lot precisely because Pacquiao likes to get into that position and you know Marquez knows it now compared to the Margarito fight watch the Margarito fight Pacquiao is stepping to Margarito's left all the damn time like constantly um, coming around his his neat hand and punching from there. And Margarita is just too straight line to do anything much about it. Um, you know, this, so we talk about the speed doing the difference, and it was, but it was just, um, Margarita just couldn't do, you know, any damn thing to to stop. He didn't have the idea, the punches in his arsenal, to stop Pacquiao coming around that angle. Whereas Juan Manuel Marquez clearly does. And so part of the fundamental use of this isn't, you know, knowing when to do it, having the timing to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, Pacquiao is a master of this. Um, I am now going to kind of do, I'm going to use my next example as someone a little bit more attainable, um, less uh, flawless at it, but a bit more attainable um, to tie into my next uh, to my next hidden fundamental. So I'm going to talk about Sirisikas or Rungvisai. Um, because Rungvisai operates, you know, people wouldn't, you wouldn't compare him to Pacquiao. You know, they're not similar fighters. Um, but he does operate on slightly similar principles in the sense that, again, he's a guy who, um, who doesn't, you know, he doesn't, his head movement isn't, you know, his head movement isn't slick. 
And he clearly he gets hit more than Pacquiao does. Um, he's less defensively skilled fighter than he's less skilled fighter than Pacquiao in general. But um, but he's also a very aggressive fighter who um, who doesn't get hit quite as much, or who didn't used to get hit quite as much as you might expect him to. And it was partly in that respect he has a similar thing to Pacquiao, where he knows where to move. He's not coming straight at his opponents. He is coming you know, off the center line and he's taking up angles that his opponents find difficult to reach. Um, so he's an, he's an example of what, you know, he isn't doing crazy things with his feet to get into those positions like Pacquiao is. So he's just one one guy. Um, you know, if you want to see textbook um textbook uh, technique on this um, Lomachenko and Usyk are the, are the guys but actually the guy that I uh, do want to mention and should is um, Rebesi Ramirez because the way he does this is so fucking cool and it's hard you know I can't nail down uh, how he does this exactly because it's different with every opponent and all of that shit but you'll so often see him literally just standing right in front of his opponent but be right in their punching range and they'll be throwing and he'll be barely moving his head or not moving at all and the punches just go whistling by. It's so fucking cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I would suggest watching him fight Isaac Doc Bay in a couple of weeks. Um, which, what day is it? It's the 1st of April. So, you know, week after next, uh, Saturday after next, in fact, um, a week and a half. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, Roberto Ramirez is just such a great example of a really good technical way to do this. Um, but uh, if you want someone a bit more attainable, <laughs> if you want someone who's a bit more, he makes more technical errors, but he's still good at this. It is for us to get so wrong of a time, um, just because of the way he, yeah, he knows how to take. Even when he gets hit, he's taking a sting off a lot of his opponent's punches, um, via, well, via that, via putting his head in the right place. Um, but with him, um, much like Pacquiao, with, you know, I was just talking about Pacquiao's timing. And I am now going to move on to my next hidden, fun- hidden fundamental, such a, yeah, <laughs> they come across as obnoxious, whatever. Uh, my next hidden fundamental is, um, I want to say timing, but timing isn't, you know, hidden. Um, I'm going to put it down as this, it's watching your opponent's feet, watching your opponent's movement, and uh, basing your moves, not just on what you're seeing from their punches, and but from what you're seeing from their feet because um this is something that i think actually i mean again i don't know i'm not in boxing camps i'm definitely not in all boxing camps um maybe talked about more than i think but um it's very rare to see fighters who really focus on this like clearly some fighters do it um and you know there are some fairly obvious things like you know just uh, um taking the lead um you know, if you're a pressure fighter, you want to be the guy taking the first step, um, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, that gets talked about. You know, if you if you close distance into inside of your opponent's ideal range, um, and then they have to step away, you have the initiative. That that gets talked about. That's not what I mean. Um, what I mean is, uh, Sarissa gets a wrong of a side, despite seeming to be quite crude, was incredibly good at his best at closing distance. Um, you know, even when he's fighting, you know, really fucking good guys like Gonzalez and uh, Estrada, by timing his movement on the bounce of their feet, like everyone has to adjust, you know, you set your feet, you move, you step, you adjust. And uh, 
and Sobrunga's so side would time his rushes, his rushes forward, as but the opponents were at their most, whether they were straight-legged, whether they were, you know, if they had a bouncy style, um, you know, at the height of your bounce is when you're least uh, able to respond. So he'd move then. Um, and it's one you can compare to. If you compare Srisaketsu Rumovasai to um, Sean Porter, because I like Sean Porter, like, you know, I rate Sean Porter, but there were clearly limitations to him as a high-level fighter. He was never really, you know, really pound for pound, um, whereas Srisaketsu very much was. Um, and I mean, there were other reasons for this. Like, um, it's not, this is not the only thing that Sorunga Sai did better than Sean Porter. But Sean Porter is also a guy who likes to ball rush. But, um, his ball rushes aren't really timed on anything. They're just trying to overwhelm. Um, and he could, you know, if, a, if the guy opposite him had good timing, um, they could intercept him. You saw it against Kel Brook. You saw it against, uh, against, uh, Terence Crawford. So, you know, at either end of the, of the, of the, you know, the, not either end of the career, but, um, you know, a few years apart. So, um, it wasn't something that he particularly improved on in age. It was just not, never a skill that he really picked up. He just, his ball rushes wouldn't really, didn't seem, at least to me, to be timed on anything his opponent was doing. Maybe on a jab or whatever, but, um, but he wasn't looking to make sure his opponents were not settled before he did it. Um, and, uh, and so Rungasai, again, like I say, he's a master. He was a master at this. Um, it's part of why, um, of why Bam's performance against him was so impressive because he'd bait these rushes and then counter them. Um, but even someone as good as Estrada or as, um, Roman Gonzalez wasn't able to do this, wasn't able to beat his scent for timing. Like, even the most smooth mover in the world and Gonzalez, Roman Gonzalez is pretty close to that. Um, has a moment where he's at his most vulnerable, where he's just stepped and he has to, you know, not even recover. It's just not, he can't step immediately. He has to, um, you know, the natural movement of the body is, uh, is you're in a certain position and you have to re, you know, shift your stance before you can take another step. And, uh, and, and, um, yeah. So I was just great at taking advantage of that. Um, he's the, the guy who most obviously comes to mind for this. Um, so it's so important to a style. Like clearly, you know, again, high-level boxers do do this. Um, Oleg Usyk would not be the fighter he is if he didn't know, if he didn't understand his principle. It's part of how he beat Anthony Joshua. Um, there are other things there. Like um, I talked a lot in my previous other fight about um, the, uh, you know, the cleanliness of Joshua's starts being uh, something against him, but that's not a you know, that's not necessarily fundamental, so I'm not going to talk about it now. Um, yeah, it, but, um, but yes, Thoristic of Song Longify is a guy who built his game around this, about watching his opponent's movements and timing his movements based on that. Um, and yeah, again, this gets talked about to some level, like, you know, I'm not trying to call every commentator, every guy who commentates on boxing a fucking idiot. It's just that uh, certain things, you know, certain things I think audiences expect to, or they think audiences expect to hear, they feel they need to focus in on certain things that audiences might be familiar with, I don't know um, yeah, I'd just like to see this kind of thing highlighted more is what I'm saying um, yeah, okay next thing, I've been talking for quite a while now so I won't be too much longer but there was one final one I wanted to raise, this one is a little more conscientious because I'm not sure you can necessarily class it as a fundamental um, there's a 
you know, some styles thrive on not doing this, on being overwhelming. Um, but I'm a big believer in, well, I say big believer, I'm a big fan of boxers who like, who don't show their opponents everything straight away. They always have something in the pocket that they can adjust um, um, in order to, yeah, well, just so that their opponent can't uh, read everything in their arsenal straight away. Um, and this obviously is, you know, the, the more tools you have technically, the easier it is. But um, but there are ways to do, you know, there are ways and things you can adjust and change, even if your actual basic toolkit is pretty simple. Um, so this isn't like a one-size-fits-all thing that uh, that every, you know, every fighter should be doing anything, everything a certain way. Um, you know, it's not like you can point to it and say, this is a jab. Everyone should be doing this in some way, you know, obviously there are different kinds of jabs, but you know what a jab is. This isn't something like that. This is just the basic idea that you should always have something new to bring throughout a fight. And I'm not even talking about my regular bugbear of if plan A completely fails and you have to have plan B. Um, because, yeah, that's pretty obvious if you're, you know, if you're if only, only got one style of fighting. But some fighters do. What I'm talking about is things that make plan A failing less likely. Um, and just a basic example of this is uh, if you're a pressure fighter, start the pressure more slowly and ramp it up as you go along. And obviously you see fighters do this all the time. Um, just as a, often just as a precaution, you know, you want to see what your opponent's got first before you really push, push on at them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, clearly, if you listen to this podcast, I am a fan of fighters, pressure fighters, who are always pushing, 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 but they up their tempo as they go along. I really like Joe Joyce for this. I really like um, Dan Aziz. Um, I will take Joe Joyce as my example because Dan Aziz, despite being a lower level fighter for now, um, you know, he's, I think he just won a European belt a week ago, um, but he is a bit more complicated in his style. Like he does quite a lot of different shit. Um, he makes mistakes, but he does quite a lot of different shit. So he's none. So, and yeah, he does ramp it up as he goes along, but I want to use Joe Joyce as my example because um, he can win fights by increasing the tempo despite two things. One, being really fucking slow. And two, um, he doesn't have like he, yeah he has every punch in the toolkit in terms of yeah uppercut jab da 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 but he like he beat Joe Joyce uh, he beat Daniel Dubois just by jabbing like he didn't have to use his whole bag of everything he does um, and even when he is throwing all the punches he isn't you know he isn't this guy who has super variations on everything but he just he doesn't even necessarily push the volume much like if you watch his fight with Daniel Dubois he isn't throwing more punches at the end of the fight than he is at the beginning. Um, he's throwing slightly more power punches, I think, but um, he's landing more power punches um, as it carries on. Just because he gets a little bit closer, like he pushes his feet a bit more. Um, he steps on, steps in a bit more often. Um, <laughs> it's just a, such a basic thing. But, um, but yeah, if you come at your opponent full tempo all the time, um, then they will know you know, if they adjust to that, then the only thing you can do is slow down. And sometimes that's, uh, you know, that can be helpful. But, um, but yeah, then you've shown your sort of best hand. Um, and uh, like an example of this, uh, 
of the speed thing is um, Gary Russell Jr. versus Vasily Lomachenko. Um, where Gary Russell has at, one, at some point in his career insisted that he had to be, have been sick because he couldn't land on Lomachenko despite having pretty widely acclaimed by, you know, the boxing crowd at the time having their fastest hands in the sport at the time and he couldn't land on Lomachenko um, you know basically at all um, and he seemed quite puzzled by this and it's because he was throwing as fast as he could all the time um, and because he did that Lomachenko had a read on his fastest punch immediately um, and all the time um, whereas if he doesn't even have to you know it doesn't have to be that you never throw the fastest punch in the first round but um but you vary up the tempo, so you you know you're you, so you know Lomachenko was always sure that the fastest thing would be coming, so he had to protect himself from that. Um, compare it to well Lomachenko's uh, compatriot Oleg Usyk, who is not a super fast fighter. Um, I mean he is, but for especially for a heavyweight now, um, well he combines the two things that I'm talking about here because he ups the t- pressure. The footwork, the yeah, he ups the pressure as he goes along, and he just throws more punches. He um, he blitzes opponents more as the fight goes on. He cranks it. He uh, he pushes it. It's really fun to watch. <laughs> um, yeah, basically, basically, but this is this isn't the only you know pushing the pressure, lifting the tempo is not the only thing I'm talking about. It's just an example of a thing you can do. You know, obviously Usyk is not a simple fighter technically. Um, Joe Joyce is a bit. Um, but for example, the the most obvious example of a fighter doing this in recent memory is um, late career Floyd Mayweather, because uh, Floyd would almost always come out just with a jab and uh, like one punch with his right hand. You know, he'd come out throwing one two's jab and a straight right or whatever, and then he'd work out what he wanted to add on. Um, he was kind of you know a minimalist. A lot of Floyd's. Uh, later imitators never really uh, this bit in the opposite sense because Floyd could do just about everything like Floyd could do anything he wanted um, technically I mean I'm saying that he wasn't the best technical boxer who ever lived but he's he's up there with them um, but um, but he started off really simple and just added one or two things at a time he did just just enough um, and you know whoever he was fighting um, he'd always just add just the one thing that they needed, he needed to 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 get something home at that moment, and he he could always he always had something else to go to. Um, some of his later imitators didn't realise this, and they would just make themselves minimalist and not be able to do anything else to adjust. Um, don't do that. Like always, you know, always have something else in your pocket. Like always do. Um, but yeah, I just it's something I really enjoy doing. Um, uh, interesting fighters do. Um, and actually, I didn't write this down, but I actually want to do. I do want to give credit to someone who I have often very hard on, um, and it was a losing effort. It's Anthony Joshua, <laughs> um, because you know I talk about him being a simple fighter and da 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 sometimes. But um, in his um, in the rematch with Usyk, you know he lost, but it was a um, a good effort. I was impressed with the fact that he, you know, he had learned new things. He didn't throw all of them at Usyk in the first round. You know, a lot of fighters in, certain, in that situation where they've lost the first match uh, one way or another, they uh, restructure themselves a bit to try to, you know, get in their opponent. Um, 
A lot of them would have just thrown everything at Usyk, at their opponent in the first round to try to discombobulate him, to try to be like, okay, overwhelm you. You're not expecting this from me. <laughs> but um, Joshua was too wise for that. And, and he did. He introduced his new, his new shit slowly. Like, what well, you know, I'm afraid I don't have the examples ready to go because, um, well, I just decided this on the last second. Uh, I'm not going to go rewatch the whole fight. Uh, but uh, if you do rewatch that fight ever, just keep a notice on the things that Anthony, you know, Throughout the fight, Anthony Joshua brings new shit to the table and Usyk has to adjust again and again rather than just having to adjust to, to one thing and all in one go and then he's flying easy. It was it was nice. Um, okay. I do have one last hidden fundamental I'm going to talk about. And uh, this isn't controversial. Um, it may be talked about more than I think it is, but it's the concept of layers, especially defensively. Um, because it's a thing that comes up all the fucking time and I don't see it get just it doesn't get dissected that often um, you know on a technical level by the commentary um, and it's a really simple concept like this is a really clear cut one um, it's just having more than one uh, you know one layer one move to go to um, you know you have a defensive move uh, if an opponent gets past it what do you do next you have to have more than one. Uh, you have to have more than two or three. Um, really, what you need to do is have uh, have layers that uh, cycle, so that you can, you know, you you snip, uh, you snips a punch, you snip another punch, you're a bit out of balance. You need to then take a step, because if you don't take a step, you'll be shifting yourself even more out of balance. Um, and uh, but if you do take a step, then you get yourself back into shape, back into position, then you can move your head again. Um, you can have a jab. Like your first layer is usually your jab. Um, if your opponent gets past your jab, have something to meet them, maybe an uppercut. Then you can take a step back, and then you can jab again. You know, that kind of thing. It's just loads and loads of cycling through layers. Um, examples of fighters who do it really well are, you know, it's, it's the good fighters. Um, actually, um, Vasily Lomachenko is a really layered fighter um, and he does the whole thing where he's just constantly cycling through like if someone gets past his jab he steps around he can jab again his head movement is a uh, you know he's not he's again like i talked about earlier he's a uh, he has head movement plane is really good um but he doesn't have to do it lots because you know he he moves his head he steps something he steps something then he steps around then he's in a good position again so he doesn't have to be constantly snipping um an example of this fading on someone is a is a an easier um, go of it and um the one i want to highlight is from last year it's one of the fights of the last year one of the knockouts of last year i definitely talked about this before because it's a it's the reason that i uh i'm always skeptical of mickey conlon and have been for a while because i don't feel he has defensive layers and i think that the fight with lee wood highlighted that pretty exactly um beginning of the fight he had the technical advantage on wood um but as the fight got on and Wood got more in his face, um, Mickey Conlon has this big problem for me that he can make the first two moves with you know def- of his defensive movement with his head especially. Um, the first two or three moves he's fine. After that he's off balance. He doesn't have the step to get himself back. He doesn't have a punch to get himself space. He doesn't have any way to get himself clear to get his stance back. So he just kind of gets trapped on the ropes, leaning further and further off balance with each attempt to evade the next punch. So if he gets trapped on the ropes with a combination of more than three or four punches, 
he gets into trouble. And that's just what was happening as the fight went on. Um, and it's what, you know, it's... The actual knockout was a bit different because, um, I mean, it was uh, Conor slipping essentially onto a power punch. I um, mean, you know, he um, he slipped a couple jabs and he went straight onto the follow-up power punch. But it was a bit sooner than him. By that stage, he was t- tired. Uh, he was a bit concussed from before. <laughs> um, he made the mistake sooner than is typical for him. Um, you, you know, even for him. Um, but the knockdown previously, at the end of the previous round, um, that was pretty much exactly what I'm talking about. Um, because Condon complained that it was a slip, and he did lose his balance. But he lost his balance because Wood came at him with a bit of a barrage. And, uh, yeah, basically, in his efforts to um, to evade the barrage, he left his feet like he didn't know where his feet were. And so he did get caught with a sort of a cuffing punch that didn't do that much damage. But... Um, but his feet were all over the fucking place because he just didn't know how to keep himself in line. He didn't have that, you know, added extra layer of footwork or whatever to get himself the space. He was just trying to get his head clear um, of of the punches, and um, and that's what led to the knockdown. Um, I'm going to dig back into the vaults, uh, my own personal vaults, for another example here. Um, a little bit obscure, um, you know. Neither of these are big stars, but. Um, Zinga Fazilev is a Shakat Domrakimov who fought for an IBF um, super featherweight tight um, eliminator, IBF eliminator. It was back in 2019, and uh, Fazilev is very fast, pretty skilled, and he was dominating the fight. And when you look at it in, initially, um, it seems like Rakimov's knockout punch of him came out of nowhere. But um, I watched this fight a bit in depth because uh, I was analysing Rakimov. I have a piece on this. Um, well, it's not on this. I have a piece on Rakimov. If you search the fight site uh, or just Google for Kings of the Future, um, Shafkat's on Rakimov, you will find something by me. Um, the GIFs may need refreshing. Um, but the, uh, you know, the text is there. Um, but, uh, yeah, the point is, as I saw this fight in depth, um, and... Uh, it happened in large part because Fizude's defense is based on reflex, um, and he doesn't have, you know, the Rakimov started getting closer and closer, and even though he wasn't landing so much, every time he got close, Fizude was getting more and more out of shape trying to deal with him. Um, and Rakimov's punching is a bit of a problem, but his footwork is really fucking good. As his punching, he lacks a few, um, he lacks subtlety, let's put it that way. But his footwork's really good, and he was just getting closer and closer. And uh, Fazule, again, he was because he was relying closely uh, purely on reflex. You see this, you know, lack of layers, you know, in uh, defense in reflexive fighters who um, who don't think about it. They just think, "Oh, well, the speed's going to get me out of trouble." And this is what happened here. Basically, is a uh, Fazule didn't have the ingrained defensive layers. Because he always thought his footwork would get to trouble, would get him out of trouble. Uh, his speed would get him out of trouble. So when Rakim, uh, Rakimov started trapping him on the ropes, he did, just didn't have anywhere to go. And even Rakimov's relatively basic punching eventually just got through. Um, you know, you can compare that to really obviously Roy Jones. You know, Roy Jones is clearly a reflex fighter. Um, and people like to think he's just a reflex fighter. This is actually bugging me. Um, you know, Loop back to uh, where I started. I wanted to do a, a subject on Roy Jones, and it was because I saw a couple of, uh, of tweets. I saw the League of Miley tweet praising Roy Jones. I saw something somewhere with someone ragging on Roy Jones for, a, um, you know, for being a reflex fighter, um, 
for you know, not having room IQ. Um, I'm not going to go in depth on Roy Jones here. I'll do that on another podcast. But um, but despite being reflex reflex based, Roy Jones did have defensive layers. He did have a few issues in the sense that um, his layers were still based on his speed. So that when he lost the speed, he couldn't take the steps. You know, he didn't have the regular ass fundamentals. You know, um, where it previously he would escape corners by stepping around in ways uh, and weaving his upper body in ways that later on he couldn't do. Um, and he didn't have the know-how to use more regular footwork necessarily. And that's why he fell apart so spectacularly. But in his prime, uh, in his heyday, he was not just using, just relying on his speed. He was combining his speed with his positioning, with his balance, with his footwork, all of that together to um, to make sure he was never trapped and uh, and that's the difference between him and you know I mean Fizile is it's a whole different class that Fizile can't see Roy Jones um, even though he's pretty clearly I think inspired but um, but yeah basically fast fighters who nonetheless think about where they are on the rim and uh, you know what they need to do to get their feet back under them Roy Jones is very much that guy um, yeah okay I am now going to wrap up because I have been talking for a while um, 45 minutes in fact so yeah, next week is a big week uh, because uh, because um, David Benavides is fighting Caleb Plant, um, and that should be a big one. That should be fun. So um, so I I will definitely be back with the podcast. I should this should be a fight side preview. I would be absolutely remiss not to do a fight side preview. Um, be a bloody old one, preview because yeah, <laughs> because I have to, and <laughs> yeah, no, because I'm already locked in to do that. Um, but. I would be very remiss not to do something for the fight site too. So uh, unless something goes very badly wrong, um, in which case I would have to apologise, um, there will be a fight site preview of that. Um, and we are coming up to such a good month of boxing. It's going to be so fucking cool. Um, April, you know, even if a couple of things fall apart here and there, it's going to be so fucking cool. But first things first, Plant versus Benavidez at the weekend. Um, I think Akoni versus Light is also this weekend. I don't think I'm going to watch that just because I need to go to bed to catch kind of plant versus uh, Benavides and it's not that significant. But in any case, uh, there are things coming up. Boxing is, you know, we've had a quiet couple of weeks and we're now coming back into full flow. Um, the spring, you know, the spring, spring floods. Um, so yeah, um, I'll see you next time. Follow me at Crafted Boxing on Twitter.com. Follow the fight site at the fight site. Follow, join our Patreon where we have got shit going on. Um, and we're still in the process of a rebuild and uh, you know all of that, but join our join our Patreon, have a look, and I will see you next time.